and open your Bibles up to the Gospel of Mark. If you could take your seats and open your Bibles up to the Gospel of Mark, we're, we're going to be in God's Word this morning. It is actually a really great problem to deal with that everybody's talking at, at our break uh, because it means that we enjoy being together. And I think that's because of the Lord's grace. But it's good to come back together and be before God's Word. His Word is what brings life. His Word is what creates His church. His Word is what commissions the church and sends us out to be fruitful. Uh, His Word is living and active. We need to hear from His Word and hear from our God. This this morning we're going to continue in our series in the Gospel of Mark and Our series is entitled, Amazed. We are learning to be amazed by Jesus as presented in this wonderful book and to follow him. We looked at last week uh, how Jesus, though rejected by many, is a gracious Savior for for the nations. We learned that uh, he was rejected by the Pharisees, but in response to that, he went out, he withdrew, and people from the nations came to him as the gracious Savior. This passage today that we'll be looking at, verses 13 through 19, is also part of his response uh, to the rejection of the Pharisees. He continues. He continues on in his mission. And there are aspects in today's passage that are important for his mission. We're going to read about how he calls the apostles. He calls these followers, these sent ones, to himself and sends them out. How this is an important part of his mission. So let's pray and then we'll read God's word. Lord, we thank you for this passage today, for chapter 3, 19, uh, verses 13 to 19, Lord. We thank you that you have preserved it in your word. We thank you, Lord, that you desire to teach us through it this morning. You desire to to speak to us. You desire to, to change us, to mold us, to shape us. And I ask you, Lord, to do your mighty work through your word. As we hear your word today, would you touch hearts? Would you touch minds? Would you touch lives? Would you draw those who do not yet know you to yourself? May they see you. May they see themselves in light of you and turn from self and sin to to you. Lord, would you encourage and refresh each one? Would you empower us anew? Holy Spirit, would you fill us afresh to go from this place to be your witnesses? All as a result of ministry through your word. Use me, Lord, I pray, to this end and to the glory of your name. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Mark chapter 3, verse 13 and to 19. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. 
He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon, the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Mark chapter 3, 13 through 19, God's living word. Guys, have you ever noticed with superheroes that there are really no other, usually no other heroes around them? They're usually the central hero. And everything kind of hinges on them. So, so let's take Superman. Superman comes on the scene. He rescues people. Uh, and then, uh, like he does all the time, he falls to that kryptonite trick and he gets trapped. And, and everything goes south, right? Everything is terrible as long as Superman is trapped. And then somehow, you know, he gets out of it and he's the hero again. And, uh, and the focus is always on him. There's no, there's no one else. When he's absent, there's... There's no, like, you know, super boys, super girls, really. I mean, later on, maybe, in the comic series. But there's, there's no, like, the followers of Superman who can kind of step up and fill the gap, right? It's all on Superman. Same thing, I guess, with other superheroes, Batman. I mean, I think about Spider-Man. Why didn't Spider-Man just take that spider and, and have, other, have other people get bitten by the spider as well so there'd be spider people everywhere who could do things? It's all about Spider-Man, right? I mean... He's the hero. I think historical heroes, that is true at times as well. There are historical heroes who kind of are raised up, do a great work, and then they're gone. And there's really no other heroes that kind of come out of that superhero. Well, Jesus is different from all these. First, he's real. He's not a cartoon character. He's very real. And secondly, his heroism certainly includes doing things no one else could do. Atoning for sins, rising again, being the firstborn from the dead. No one else could do that. But his heroism also includes recruiting others to himself. And so affecting their lives, so touching their lives, so calling them and and shaping them and sending them, that when he's gone, the mission actually is even more successful. There are more people reached the world gets turned upside down. He's different than these other heroes. He's a hero that comes to to recruit, to to draw people to himself, to shape them, and to make, in a sense, little Christ. We call them Christians. Who are to go forth with the mission that he started and fulfill that mission. Our story today is about this. It's about the hero recruiting other ones to follow after him. And it's about what he calls them to. And it's about these guys. They're called apostles. They're the sent ones. They are unique. There's 12 of them. There's no one like these men in history. When they pass from the scene, there are no more apostles like them. But the church itself, all the people of God, take the mission that the apostles were given and and experience really the same sort of things the apostles experienced to carry on And fulfill that mission. So what I want to do is I want to look through this story. I want to look through these passages, these verses, this short section today, and and learn about this. I want to learn about this idea of being an apostle. I want to learn about what 
I want us to learn about what Jesus calls the apostles to, and really what he calls the church to. What we're going to see, and what the title of the message is, is to know him and make him known. And that is a way to sum up what he calls the apostles to, and what he calls his people to. We'll learn this as we follow the storyline of the passage. And I think you have notes uh, to follow along. We're just going to walk through uh, different parts, different verses right through. We're going to talk about the mountain. We're going to talk about the mission. We're going to talk about the men and then the meaning as we follow through this story. First, the mountain. Verse 13, it says, And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. He went up on the mountain and called them those whom he desired, and they came to him. The Gospel of Luke speaks about this same instance. It, it records some other details. It says in Luke 6, 12, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued to, in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. Jesus went up to this mountain. And this idea of going to a mountain is a common theme throughout Scripture. Going to a mountain, going up on a mountain to encounter God is a theme throughout Scripture. Really from the very beginning, uh, there, were, there are those who would understand, I think rightly, that even the Garden of Eden at the very beginning was a mountain-type garden temple. We see later that the people of God were called to dwell with Jerusalem as their capital, and the temple itself was on a mountain. Moses was called up to Mount Sinai to encounter God on the mountain. Jesus is later in the Gospels transfigured and shown, uh, shining in this glorious revelation on a mountain. And the final temple, the final place of God's presence and people is on a mountain. So when it says he went up to a mountain here, I, I don't think it's by accident. I think it's in line with these things. This theme of the mountain, the place to encounter God. And, and there are lots of places to go to learn about the, these mountaintop experiences in Scripture. There's a fascinating account in Exodus 24. This is early on when the people of God the, were, were rescued from slavery in Egypt. They're, they're called out of Egypt and their leader, Moses, leads them. And they uh, are rescued by God and they go into the desert. And God, God relates to them and he relates to them through Moses and others. And there's this mountaintop experience in Exodus 24 where God's on the mountain and God calls people to himself on the mountain. It says in Exodus 24, 9-11, Then Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel, so there's 70 with them as well, went up. I go up to the Mount Sinai. And it says, And they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being one of the 70 and going up there and, and seeing God on his throne and, 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 and eating and drinking in his presence, in the presence of the Holy infinite, glorious God? It's fantastic. It's a fantastic account, an amazing privilege. And in our story today, in our passage today, this is what's going on actually with the apostles. Jesus goes up to the mountain to pray, and he calls these 
men, these 12, to himself. And they get to dwell with the infinite, glorious God in the form of a man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. They get to dwell with him. He calls them to himself on the mountain. He calls them into his presence to be with him. It's interesting to note, too, that he calls them. He calls them. It, it makes it very clear here. It says he went up on the mountain and called to him, called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. Jesus does the calling here. That's important to note. It isn't that these were like the twelve most, the twelve pushiest guys around Jesus. These were the guys that, are like, hey, we want to be part of this deal. We want to be leaders with you. And, and would you make us leaders? Uh, we, want, we want you to choose us. And we're pushing ourselves. Now, they might have done that. I don't, I don't know. We don't know. We can't say. But that's not what the passage says. It says he called to himself those whom he desired. He does the calling. He does the recruiting. He is the one who takes the initiative with these apostles. They're called by him. Not because they think themselves qualified, not because they put themselves forward, but because He calls them. And that's important to note. It's important to note because it's prominent right there in the, in the Scripture. But the implication is oh so important. It's really important for us to understand that Christ is the one who calls not only the apostles to Himself, but He calls leaders as well. He calls His people to Himself. But he's the one who calls and raises up leaders, not us. We don't ultimately choose. He does. Later on in Scripture, in, a, in Ephesians chapter 4, he, he talks about this. The Scripture talks about Jesus. And what it says in Ephesians 4, as it's talking about how he raises leaders up and how he forms his church, it says this. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And note this, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Jesus is the one who gives here, right? He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd teachers to equip the saints. He is the one who does this, and we respond to this. And when we understand this, it helps us so much. It helps us so much. It helps us first to put our hope in Jesus. He's the one who builds his church. He's the one who gives leaders. He does it. If we, don't, if we don't build on this truth, if we don't remember this truth, we could really get panicked, couldn't we? We could think, what's going to happen? Do we have the leaders we need? What do we need to do to make it happen? What, do we, what actions do we need to take? How can we be sure this is the right leader? What's going to happen with, we're hoping to plant churches, Lord willing, to Manchester and to Boston, Lord willing, in partnership with other churches throughout the region, more and more gospel-centered churches. If Jesus doesn't call and raise up leaders, then we should be very, very anxious. So we have to do something. We could be anxious about our present leaders if we don't understand that. Is this really the one, the right one? Did we do it right? Did we get it right? 
When we understand that Jesus calls leaders to himself, he is the one who raises up not only apostles, but pastors and teachers, pastor teachers as well. It gives us great confidence in his work in and through the church. It gives us great confidence to take steps as we seek to advance the mission, as we hope to plant to Manchester and Boston. Our confidence is in Jesus who raises leaders up, not ourselves. We trust Him. And and as we continue in the mission here as a church, we put our confidence in Him to raise leaders up and to use them. And it also helps us to receive the leaders as a gift from Him. It helps us to rightly relate to leaders. We recognize that they're gifts from God. And we can rightly honor, rightly encourage. Yes, we hold them accountable and so forth. There are qualifiers. But ultimately, leaders are a gift. And this is an important thing to recognize. Jesus is the one who does this. He is the one who builds his church. He is the one who raises up leaders. And we should thank God for that. It's helpful for me as a pastor. If I didn't know this truth, I would, I would just be very anxious. I would be nervous all the time. Am I the guy? Am I doing the right thing? But my faith is in Him. And there was a process for me and, uh, as well that I can, I can say with a degree of confidence that He's done that. It gives me peace. It gives me confidence in my leadership that comes from Him and for us as a church. So I, I hope that, that just that little tidbit here in Jesus, uh, in this passage, helps you and encourages you, whether you are uh, a present leader, a future leader. It gives us faith for the future as well. I'm going to get old, duh, um, and, and we're all going to get older. We need the next generation to come up. Our confidence is in Jesus to raise leaders up. And thank God for the very many uh, young, godly people that we have, that we trust will be raised up by Christ as leaders. So Jesus calls them to himself. He calls them to be with him. He calls them to the mountain. He does the calling, but they're to be with Him. And He calls them to this mission. Verse 14, it says, He appointed twelve, whom He also named apostles, so that they might be with Him, and He might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. He calls the leaders to Himself and to be sent out. He calls them to be with Him and to be sent out. Isn't that interesting? They're kind of two different directions. He calls them to be with Him, and He calls them to be away from Him in a sense. He sends them out as well. This is really the mission of the apostles and the mission of God's people by extension. I put it slightly differently in this message, to know Him and to make Him known. The apostles are called to know Him and to make Him known. Before really there is any, any sending out, before there is any commission of the apostles, there is the spending time with Jesus. There is knowing Him and being with Him. These guys, these twelve, got a lot of face-to-face time with Jesus. They were with Him. They got to know Him. They got to experience Him. They got to see Him. They got to hear Him. They got to experience God in their midst through God the, the, the Son. And what a difference it made in their lives. They were transformed by being with Jesus. These guys are ragtag in many ways. They're, they're common men. They have their faults. One of them betrays Jesus. One of them, they're, 
thinking he's the closest and most devout of the twelve, denies Jesus. They're ragtag, they're normal, but they are transformed by being with Jesus. Jesus calls them first and foremost to be with him, to come and dwell with him, to spend time with him. And they spend three years close to Jesus. And they're changed. And when they receive the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Holy Spirit, you see that change on display. We read in Acts of these men and their incredible exploits. They boldly proclaim and live for Christ. They teach His Word. They love one another. They lead the church. It is so remarkable that it says in Acts 4, when they are arrested, Peter and John are arrested, it says this, 4 verse 13. Now, this speaking of the leaders, the I think it was Pharisees and Sadducees. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived what? That they were uneducated? Common men. They probably had accents. They probably had a limited vocabulary or whatever. Somehow they perceived that they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished. They were astonished. And they recognized what? That they had been with Jesus. These men and their ability to be the apostles, it was derived from being with Jesus. Before there was any sending, before there was any being apostles, there was being with Jesus. They they were with Him. They were transformed by Him. They perceived His glory and they shone for His glory. Going back to Moses, Moses spent time with God and he was transformed by God. It's, there's a, a wonderful story in, in Exodus of Moses' transformation from being with God. Moses goes up to the mountain and he spends time with God. It changes him. It says this in Exodus uh, chapter 34. It says, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. The skin of his face shone somehow. There was brightness. There was glory coming out of the skin of his face. And then, listen to the reaction. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses And behold, the skin of his face shone. And they were afraid to come near him. It freaked them out to see the face of Moses shining with the glory of God. And when Moses finished speaking with him, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. In 2 Corinthians, Paul picks up on this story and this theme, and he says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed formed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is not only a truth for Moses 
This is not only a truth for the apostles, this is a truth for all of us. We all, Paul says, the church, as we behold the Lord, as we know the Lord, as we are with the Lord, we ourselves are transformed. We ourselves shine. And others recognize that. It's kind of like in the middle of the winter when you have that gray, white, pasty skin. And you take a trip to Florida. And you get some sun exposure. And you come back. People say, oh, where'd you go? Because you're tan. The, the glory of the sun makes you shine with the tan. And people see it. That's how it is with the Lord. When we're with Him, His glory changes us. It affects us. It shapes and molds us. It takes men who are ragtag, ordinary men and makes them apostles who start and form and establish the church that changes the world. And when we're with the Lord, we shine as His people in community and individually. And people see the difference. They see Him shine through us. This is the starting point for the apostles. This is the starting point for Christianity. This is the starting point for all of God's people. This is the invitation for those who don't yet know Christ. Come and know Him. Come and receive Him and know His glory. So let me ask you a question. If this is the starting point, is it how you understand your faith? Is it how you understand and practice your Christianity? If before the apostles can do anything for the Lord, they must be with Him. If we need to behold the glory of God to shine for Him, do you walk in that truth? Do you make coming and being with God's people on Sunday a priority? And so many of you do. Do you make it a priority? Because when we meet, we're not just meeting to, to, to study the Scriptures merely. We're not meeting just to sing songs merely. We're not, we're not meeting just to be with people that we kind of like, that are like us in some ways or something merely. We come together to be with the Lord, to be in His presence, to behold His glory, and to have our faces shine as a result. So our Sunday is a priority. Our small groups are a priority for you. We have small groups. We have them for a reason. We, they're not compulsory. We don't, you know, we don't uh, take attendance and call people if you're not there. But you need to be there. I need to be there. Our small groups are so that we can be with the Lord and be with His people and, and live in community and, and around His truth and, and be His sent ones as well together. You need to be part of a small group. If, if this truth is for all of us, then we need to make these other things, small groups and Sunday and getting with friends and, and time even just each day to read His Word and to pray and to be in His presence. We need to make these things a priority. It's what we're called to. It's to be our joy. It's to be the power to shine for Him. So Jesus calls the apostles to be with Him. He calls us to be with Him, to pursue His presence, to enjoy His presence, to be transformed by His presence. And He calls them to Himself to send them out. 
They are the sent ones. He appointed twelve whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out. Actually, the word apostle means sent one. To be an apostle, to be apostolic as his church, is to be sent. There's no such thing as unsent apostles. To be an oxymoron like jumbo shrimp. There's no such thing. Apostles are sent ones. And they are sent out by the Lord. They are sent out to bring a message. They are sent out to proclaim. To preach. And the word preach actually means proclaim. It means to declare, to herald, to proclaim, to announce. They're sent out to announce the good news of Christ. As we read elsewhere in Scripture, we know what they are preaching is the good news of Christ, the good news of the kingdom. And they're sent out to have authority to cast out demons. They're sent out to proclaim the message of the sender, and they're sent out to represent the sender himself and his authority. So they're both to proclaim the message of the sender and demonstrate the person, uh, represent the person and his authority of the sender. They are to preach. They're to proclaim. They're to proclaim the good news. And this is really the most important aspect of their mission. The most important aspect is proclaiming, preaching the good news of Christ. Now at this point, I'm not sure if they understood the fullness of what that meant. As we read the story, we can tell they didn't quite get that the good news not only included that God the Son was present with them, that the Messiah, the, the promised King had come, but also that that King would have to die on the cross. That God's chosen one, God in the flesh, God the Son, would have to die on the cross, would have to suffer and die for sins, to be punished for sins he did not commit so that he could pay for the sins of his people, so that they might be forgiven, that he could offer up his righteous life in their stead so that they could be received as righteous themselves before God. That's the wonderful core of the good news for us, that Christ has come as the victorious King. He's come as the victorious King to conquer sin and death in this broken world and to make available to us forgiveness and redemption and not to just work in us and through us, but to, to actually bring redemption to the whole universe, to right the wrongs, to heal the brokenness. Their preaching, their proclamation is of the victory of God in Christ over sin and death and brokenness. And this is good news. This victory, this proclamation is good news. It's powerful news. It is the most important thing that the apostles could do to proclaim the good news. To proclaim the victory of the Son. To proclaim His death and resurrection. His ascension. His imminent return. To proclaim these truths is the most significant thing they can do. It is the most powerful thing that they can do. The Gospel is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. It's the power of God. It's more powerful than anything in the universe. Anything. More powerful than atom bombs. More powerful than the sun. Every second the sun gives off two atom bombs worth of radiation. It's more powerful than a supernova. 10 billion suns of power. 
one of the most powerful things we see in our universe. It's more powerful than all these things. These are all physically powerful indeed, but that's all they are. They don't change hearts. They don't change lives. They don't alter eternities for people. They don't change the universe. But the Gospel does all these things. The Gospel comes and changes lives. The Gospel rescues sinners bound for eternity separate from God. The Gospel transforms lives. The Gospel is the core of that glory that shines on us and makes us shine. That changes us. That transforms us into the image of Christ. That makes us more and more like Him personally and more and more like Him as a community, as a church as well. The Gospel transforms us. The Gospel will have its way in bringing all of God's people in. And when that work is done, the completion of the Gospel will be Christ returning and changing the universe as well. There's nothing like the good news. And it's the core of our mission. It's the core of the mission of the apostles. It's the most important thing that they could do. It's the most important thing that we can do to proclaim the Gospel. There is no mission without the proclamation of the Gospel. If you lose the Gospel, you lose your mission. No matter how many good things you do, and we are certainly called to do good things, no matter how many hungry mouths you feed, as important as that is, you lose the Gospel. You lose the mission. No matter what we might do, if we lose the Gospel, we, we lose what we're called to. The apostles were called to proclaim the Gospel. We are called to this as well. It's at the core of our mission. And no aspect of our mission should deny or somehow diminish the proclamation of the Gospel. It's the power of God. And, and I'm so excited this week that the Gospel is going to be proclaimed to children and to families. That there will be children who have never heard the good news that are going to get to hear it and hear about the holiness of God, the love of God, the glory of God in the, in the Gospel. And, and there's going to be a response. Some of them are just going to think, wow, that's unlike anything I've ever heard. And maybe have questions. Others are just it's a little seed that's going to be sown. But there will be some who, who God's going to work in their hearts as they hear the Gospel. And there's going to be transformation that goes on. And faith. And they're going to put their faith in Christ. And, and maybe go back and tell their families. I trust there will be families impacted who maybe have never heard about the Gospel before. Through your work this week, for those involved in the VBS, and really all of us as we pray, to bring the gospel to lives and to change lives forever. We are called to this. It's our joy. The apostles are called to this. It's, it's our mission together. They're called to proclaim the gospel. And they're called, they're, they're give, called to Jesus to be sent out to proclaim the gospel and to have authority to cast out demons. They're to go out and cast out demons. And it's important, I think, for us to understand that. We talked uh, some weeks ago about casting out demons and deliverance from demons, this reality that's around us um, of, of demonic oppression. But it isn't just the mere act of casting out demons that Mark is getting at here. He's getting at the fact that these apostles are called 
to proclaim his message and represent him as the king. They're called to represent his authority. There's a kingdom that has come when Jesus came. There's a kingdom that's expanding through the apostles. There's a kingdom that's to expand through the church. There's authority in that kingdom. And when that kingdom expands, it encounters darkness, it overcomes another kingdom, the kingdom of Satan and his minions. And that kingdom cannot stand before the kingdom of Christ. And when that kingdom advances, there's authority. And demons are cast out. And, the, and all the different inroads and all the different actions of the enemy are, are pushed back. The kingdom conquers. The kingdom advances. The kingdom releases captives from sin and from Satan and from self. The kingdom releases people. That's, that's the context where demons are driven out. They're cast out because the authority of the king is there. His kingdom is expanding and he's vanquishing the enemy and pushing him out. And people are delivered from demonic oppression. They're delivered from sin. They're delivered from multiple aspects of the kingdom of darkness. It's like the allied army in World War II as it advanced across Europe after D-Day. All that territory was under the Nazi regime on that day when they landed. But they progressed. And as they went, they liberated villages. And people who were under the oppression of the Nazi regime were freed from that. They were no longer captives. They were free. And they were free to begin a new life. And as that advance progressed, they, they freed more and more people. And then they encountered some people who were enslaved and imprisoned in awful concentration camps. And they freed them as well. Whatever level of oppression went on, whether it was just being a prisoner in your own village or a prisoner in a horrible place like a concentration camp, the Allies freed them as they advanced. That's how the kingdom works. As we proclaim the gospel, as we live out our lives in our communities, as we love others, as we relate to others, as we proclaim the gospel, we advance His authority. And people are freed as they hear that gospel and believe. They're freed no matter what level of oppression they experience. And for some, that level of oppression is demonic oppression. They're demonized. There are people out there who are. It's perhaps less common in our culture because our culture has known the blessings of Christianity in many ways. But I believe we are going to increasingly see demonic oppression as our culture slides away from Christianity, and we're going to see deliverance as the gospel advances. This will be more of a normal thing. I've even talked with some of our leaders about maybe we make this a basic aspect of just praying over people and expecting there's probably demonic oppression as new believers come in. That's what the early church did. I talked about it. It was standard for every believer to go through deliverance ministry because of the prevalence of, of these sort of things. As the gospel goes forward, as the authority of the kingdom goes forward, people are released, and we trust God. We will have many, many captives set free. Well, quickly in closing, Jesus chooses these men, these 12 men, this ragtag group, calls them by name, calls them by nickname, calls them to himself, calls them to be with him, 
and sends them out. He recruits little superheroes to himself. He recruits multiple little superheroes. He makes them into little superheroes by being with him, by experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. And one might think, you know, well, yeah, that's cool, but after the 12, I mean, it's over, isn't it? There's no more 12. Those guys were special, and they were, certainly. The 12 were special. But the Scriptures teach us that their call is passed on to the church as a whole. And so for every believer, we ourselves are, are, in a sense, little superheroes. And we together as a church are a band of superheroes with the Gospel, with the Holy Spirit. Jesus says to them this explicitly in Matthew 28. He, he speaks to His apostles before He ascends. And He says to them this. It says in the passage, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Me. Go therefore, to His, to his apostles, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then what? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, this is the good news in here as well, more good news, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the church. The apostles are to go and make disciples. They're to pass on what they've received and teach the church to obey what they have learned. They are to pass on their commission. They've passed on their commission to the church. That means us right here, this little local church as part of the broader church. We are called to the same. We are called to the same mission. We are called to be with Him. And if the band could come up as, as we close. So I want us to think about this this morning. They are called, the apostles are called to, to know Him, to be with Him, and to make Him known. To proclaim the Gospel. To extend His kingdom. So we are as well. We are all called to this to some degree, varying degrees, but together to the entire degree, to be with Him, to know Him, and to make Him known. So, I want you just to think about one small step you can take in light of this. Maybe you're doing great. That's, that's fine. But is there something you can do in response? Is Jesus calling you to spend more time with Him? Because He wants you to shine more. He wants to shape you more. He wants to give you more joy. He wants to teach you how to base your life in Him, not yourself. He wants to teach you about forgiveness and grace. Not living under guilt and the law or or not living under rebellion and sin. Maybe He just wants to strengthen you more. Maybe you need to spend more time. Maybe to make Sundays a priority or personal time with the Lord. Maybe He's calling you to proclaim the Gospel. To recognize that it's not just being with friends who need to hear about Jesus, but it's, more importantly, that's important to be with them, but to proclaim to them the good news. Maybe there's a friend who you can start praying for an opportunity to share the good news. Let's just think about those things as we trust the Holy Spirit to guide us in responding to His Word, and then we will close in song.